Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, John chapter 8. We are doing a series about our image, our identity in Christ, and uh, we're going to continue that. I don't know, sometimes maybe you feel like uh, your identity was set at a certain point in time, and it's hard to get past that or over that or change that. Um, I was going to share a, a, a really embarrassing moment in my life, and some of you will probably hold this against me, so... Confession's good for the soul, bad for the reputation. I was young. It was my early 20s. I was trying to finish up my undergraduate, and I had done a bunch of junior college, and I had done some, uh, some Bible college, but the Bible college wasn't really accredited. And anyway, I, I decided I was going to go over to master's co- uh, college and see if they would accept some of these units from this, uh, this Bible college I'd been to because there were some connections between the two. And so I was headed over there, and another guy that was going to our church, also in his young 20s, who had kind of come to Christ late in life, uh, he, later in life, he, he uh, said, well, I want to go check that out, too. So the two of us go to check out Master's College. And they give us a tour of the college and answer some questions and different things. And they said, well, there's chapel today. And uh, so you can go to the student's chapel over here, and so-and-so is speaking at the student's chapel. Or if you would like, you can go to the staff chapel, and John MacArthur is speaking today. I said, well, we want to go to the staff chapel, which we really didn't think through very much because there was two 20-something kids in a staff chapel of all these guys with doctorates and PhDs and all this kind of stuff. And there's only like 25 of them or so, a small group. So we were instantly feeling uncomfortable. And they were having worship that day. And it was kind of the old school worship. Some of you remember back in the day, it was a piano player. And then there was somebody who stood up front and did did this, you know, okay? Some of you are like, yeah, we remember those days. And this guy was, he was memorable. I'll just say that. He had a hook for a hand and a patch. Um, no pirate hat. But he had a hook for a hand, and he held the music in some sort of like little clip that was in the hook there. It was kind of interesting. It was leading worship, and I, I know not to, you know, make fun or anything. So we just sat there. We were being really good. And uh, then they sang one of the old hymns. I, I don't know which one it is but it says something about the foal and the donkey, but it uses the King James Version for donkey, okay? I grew up in the church. I'd heard the song before. I'm fine. But out of the corner of my eyes, I can see my friend, and he's doing one of these. His shoulders are going up and down. He's, he's starting to laugh. And so then, oh, no. So it hits me, and so we're both sitting there kind of trying to hold it in, trying to laugh. So, you know, I was, oh, man. Song was over, and they said, uh, well, our speaker today is, is John MacArthur. From behind me stands John MacArthur. I don't remember anything else. I just remember we got in the car and we're going, well, we're not going to Master's College. <laughs> I'm not getting in there, you know. I don't know, what, I don't know why we really felt like he went to the office and said the two kids that were visiting today, mm-mm, No. But that's how we felt, right? It's just a moment of time. Look, we've all done stupid things. We've all fallen short. And sometimes we just kind of get back and we just camp in that and we wallow in it. And so we really want to understand our identity in Christ. And so last week we looked at that we are forgiven. Um, and today we're talking about I am free. And as I was thinking about I am free... I don't think that most of us struggle thinking that we're free. Like we go, okay, I'm free, whatever. Um, and, and maybe we don't really 
identify that as a need. Uh, interesting, in the, in the story we're going to read in John chapter 8, neither does the audience. When Jesus says you're free, they start arguing with him. I don't need to be free. And so I think there's something here that we need to hear. Uh, some of you have heard the term uh, Stockholm Syndrome. The uh, term was first used by foreign media in, in uh, 19, I wrote down 1963, I thought it was 1971, but anyway, there's a hostage situation in Stockholm, Sweden, and four hostages were taken during a bank robbery, and then after they were freed later, those captor, uh, those, those victims refused to say anything bad about their captors. They refused to go to court and, and testify against them. And so it became this thing that was studied emotionally, and the FBI says about 8% of people who are held captive have this. And so there's four characteristics, and I thought it was interesting. No previous hostage-captor relationship, so it's a new relationship. A hostage develops a positive feeling toward their captors. A hostage refusal to deal with the authorities to punish the captors. And then a hostage belief in the humanity of the captors, their captors uh, uh, begin to believe, or the victims begin to believe that they and their captors hold the same values. And as I think about us, many of us have become uh, starting to have positive feelings towards our captors, Satan and the world. And we have a general positive feeling about it. We don't necessarily want to punish our, our society that, that we're up against. We, we just want God to just kind of give us this and that. And we think oftentimes wrongly that the world has the same values as we do. Uh, so let's look at John chapter 8. We're going to pick it up in verse 31 and see if you can kind of see some of the things that I'm talking about here. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. Which, you need to go back to a Jewish history. That's a, that's a pretty bold statement there. Uh, not true, but they kind of had this belief that even when they were enslaved, that they weren't really slaves, that they were somehow internally free. So it's kind of an odd statement, but we've, we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to, they, they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. 
for I come from God and I am here. I come not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He is a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So this morning, Jesus talks about in that first verse that we read in verse 31, if you are truly my disciples. So we want to focus on this concept of, of being a disciple of Jesus. So in Christ, true disciples remain. In Christ, true disciples are free. And in Christ, true disciples are family. In Christ, I am free from the power of sin legally and practically is what we want to see this morning. We struggle with the concept of being free because we don't really believe that we're captive. So we say, freed from what? And Jesus says, look, you're a slave to sin. That's what you're being freed from. We don't understand what freedom really is, which is hard to say, too, I know, in American culture. But listen to this definition. The power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. What Jesus is saying that when you are in sin, you don't have the power or right to act the way that you want to act. You are, you're living under a restraint, and that restraint is literally sin. And so Jesus says you need to be freed from that. So we don't understand what it means, that, uh, what our freedom affords us. We're free to act, speak, and think righteously. So true disciples remain. Um, not all belief is a, a, a saving faith. Notice in verse 31, Jesus said, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Now, the, the gospel of John is all about this theme of belief, but this certainly is not a group of people that we would call believers. I mean, as you follow the story, in verse 37, he says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me, talking to that crowd. In verse 43, he says, um, why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? In verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear is that you are not from God. And then he ends this in verse 59. We didn't read all the way down there. It's so, so they picked up stones to stone him. That's not a great believing group. So Jesus says, look, to those of you who think you're believing in me, this is what a true disciple is. True disciples remain. Saving faith results in abiding, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word. Now, I don't use the word abide in conversation. 
other translations, if you hold to my teaching, NIV, if you re- remain faithful to my teaching in the Living Bible, uh, continue in my word, New American Standard, uh, keep on obeying in another. So the idea is continual learning and application of God's word. That's what it means to abide. It's a continual process. True disciples remain. They keep going. Saving faith remains in verse 35. So he goes on to say, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. And so he contrasts this relationship with the son versus a relationship of duty. Now now listen to this. You can be, Jesus is talking to a very religious group, a group that is very morally upright, outstanding citizens, people that you look up to, people that that are pillars in the community, groups of people that have faith, that that are seen as followers of God. He's he's not talking to the the low end of of society. He's not not doing prison ministry here. He's not doing street ministry. He's, He's talking to the religious people of the day. And he is saying there's a difference between having a relationship with the son and just doing things out of obligation. I think we need to hear that. There's a difference of going through the motions and loving and abiding and following Jesus Christ. There's a a separation there. And in verse 37, he he narrows that down a little bit and he says, "I uh, I, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. So what remains? The relationship and the word of God just dwelling in us. So saving faith abides, it remains, and, and Jesus calls this, this type of faith, if you were my disciples. And so what is disciples or discipleship? Now this is a big deal around here, it's a big deal to me, we've talked about this, and so let's just do a little review of what we have defined as what does it mean to be a disciple? And we've looked at Mark 1, 17. It's in your notes there. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you, uh, make you become fishers of men. So our vision for discipleship is, first of all, a disciple follows Jesus. There's, there's head knowledge that's involved in that. I'm, I'm following Jesus. I'm learning about Jesus. I'm... I'm uh, learning new things about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, our head is definitely involved in that. Second, a disciple is changed. Jesus says, follow me. They make a conscious decision. And he says, I will make you. I'm gonna, if you follow me, something's going to change. Now, now hear this. Some of you grew up in the church. I, I ask you, you know, when, when did you... When did you come to Christ? And it's, it's a little muddy for you. I don't know. I, I mean, I pretty much was born in the second pew, okay? Just disturbing. I grew up in the church. I don't know. I've always been in the church. I, I went to Sunday school, and I did this, and I did this. And, and so that moment, I, I, I don't really know. And I, I just want to say, hold on a second, because biblically, we are all born into not the church, but sin. We have the sin nature. 
And what's required of us is to repent and follow Jesus. And that repent means to turn around. And it means that there should be a change that takes place. You say, well, what can I change from when I was two? You know what? We all grow up with getting some wrong ideas of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And for some of us, it's just easier to reproduce those wrong ideas and keep down that path than actually make the changes and follow Jesus. And so for us, as we're reading through Scripture, if you're, you're doing the New Testament or the, in the Old Testament, if you're doing the reading, we ask these questions. Who is God? What has he done? Who am I? What am I called to do? And sometimes when we read Scripture, we go, man, that's not what church looks like. That's not what following Jesus looks like. And so what, what does it mean to be a disciple? Follow me, and I'm going to make some changes. Changes need to take place. And then he says, I'm, and so that's a heart change, right? There's things in our heart that need to change. So head, we're following Jesus' heart. We're making changes. And then he says, I will make you become fishers of men. That means I'm going to put you on mission. And those are what we do with our hands, how we're serving. So being a disciple involves our head, our heart, and our hands in following Jesus. And Jesus says, if you're my disciple, right, you are going to remain you are going to uh, continue. You are going to abide. That's what it means. But you're not my disciples because you're not doing those things. True disciples remain. Second, on your notes there, B, true disciples are free. So Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now we, we have these these ideas of, of freedom, and, and again, we, we grew up in a, a free society and we think that we're free, however that looks, but the idea here is that we were born slaves to sin and God is going to set us free from that. So free from slavery to sin. Most of us, if you grew up in the church, you're going, I, I just I can't picture a time when I was a slave to sin. Some of you are going, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And so there's this process that's taking place in us where God is, is freeing us from that. And keep your fingers here. If, if you could turn over to uh, Romans chapter 8. Let me just kind of go a little bit deeper in what it means to be set free. In Romans chapter 8, we're just looking at the first couple verses. Uh, we don't have time to look at every passage here, but... But just grabbing this, it says in chapter 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ, Jesus, from the law of sin and death. So when we are in Christ, okay, first of all, we are free from the legal verdict of sin. Notice at the beginning of the verse, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ. So we're set free from that legal verdict of being condemned for our sins. But that's not all. In verse two, he says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ. And notice he says from, here's what it's set free from, the law of sin and death. So we have the law of the spirit or the law uh, of sin, and we have life, 
or death. And so he's contrasting these two. So first he says, in Christ, we've been set free from the legal verdict. And second, in Christ, we've been set free from the power of sin. So when I say that you are free, what I'm saying, in Christ, there's no legal condemnation and sin has no power over you. Now, some of you are going, well, let me tell you about my struggle. You are free to not sin. The Bible says of the non-believer is they're not free to not sin. They're, they're slaves to it. You have been set free. Now, some of that freedom is still shaken off. Some of that Stockholm syndrome is still there. And we're making a change. We're making a move. But in Christ, you have been set free from slavery to sin. Free from the law, free from the little, uh, legal verdict, liberated from the power. It's a process. Also in that, um, there's things that go with sin. You don't have to turn there, but in Isaiah 61, uh, talking about the Savior, it says, uh, in verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me. Who is it speaking of? Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captors. Who's this talking about? This is about the Messiah. Liberty to the captives. He goes on in verse 7 and says, Instead of your shame, there will be a double portion. Instead of your dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. And so he's talking about this change that's taking place. We're free from shame. We're free from shame. That guilt, that embarrassment. Now, I don't know about you, but I specialize in guilt. I can produce guilt like no one else. Man, I, can be, I can be just relaxing, and I can think of something I did 20 years ago and go, oh, oh geez. Mm. Like it just, I, it's, a, it's a gift, really. No, it's not. Um, shame. You know, I, I, I teach a New Testament and Old Testament survey at Corbin, and you know, every time we get to the, the creation account, and I mention it in both classes, we get the creation account, it's just weird to people, okay? I mean, in our culture. Adam and Eve are walking around naked in the garden. Just... What's going on here? And I said, what do you think? What's going on? And, and I look at the class and I go, you know what? You and I have no concept of what it means to live without guilt and shame. We don't know what it's like. We, we don't know what it's like to not think about what somebody else is thinking about us. To not wonder if, if people are turning there. We, we just, it's so much a part of who we are, the shame. As soon as Adam and Eve sin, they go and hide and we were naked. Look, it's just a, a, an outward expression of what's going on inside. We're experiencing something we don't remember ever experiencing. Shame. And when the, Isaiah saying is, when the Messiah comes, we're going to be freed from shame. And then also there in that Isaiah page, free from disgrace. Oh, wow. Now, 
again, I, I, can, I can sit somewhere and I can, I can think back a decade ago, two, I mean, I can think all the way back to high school and think of something and go, oh, feel guilty about that. Do you know what we won't do? We won't do that in heaven. We won't do that in heaven. We're also free for a purpose. Back to John uh, in verse 39, it says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if Abraham were your, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. You'd be living on purpose. We're free from sin, but it gives us a purpose of how we are to live. Now, when we look at these things, we looked last week at forgive. We are forgiven so that we can forgive. You have been uh, reconciled so that you can become a reconciler. You have been loved so that you can love. Jesus says, come follow me so that you might call other people to come follow. I mean, all these things kind of have an opposite end. So you have been set free so that you might become a slave to righteousness, to doing right. Now you say, wow, I don't want to be a slave. Look, it's a slave. Paul calls himself all this, this all the time. He says, I'm a bondservant. I'm enslaved to that. And it's not a negative thing. It's a slave to doing the right thing in Christ. It's a beautiful picture. We're free from self-justification. This amazing thing here is Jesus says, you are free indeed. And they go, we were never a slave. What are you talking about? And so they have all sorts of ways of self-justifying themselves. First of all, it's not an ethnic justification. They say, wait a second. In verse 33, he says, we're offspring of Abraham. You're not, you're not free because you're in a Baptist church. <laughs> That's actually kind of funny. You're not free because you're an American. We're only free in Christ. It's not a religious justification. In verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if Abraham were your children, you'd, you'd be uh, doing the works of that. It's, it's, it, and he says, look, we're not just, we're not just not children. Like we're part of this, this group of people who see themselves as followers of Abraham. We're, we're in this group. And he says, look, Billy Graham said it. Being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. Okay? So you, but I, but I go to church. But I believe in Jesus. Good, the demons believe in Jesus as well. And they're actually afraid of him probably more than you are. It's more than that. And then they go on to verse 41. He says, you are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, said to him we are not born of sexual immorality. We are moral people. You're not justified because you're good. It's not a moral justification. God isn't great on a curve. Now, listen, that's good news. If God grades on some sort of curve, 
if it's based on our moral works, then what's the point? I mean, what point do we need to arrive at? Is it kind of like 51%? Well, that's still a failing grade, so we don't, we don't think that. Well, you know, like a B, 80%? Well, how much moral goodness equals 80%? And what if you achieve 80% and find out it's 85%? Oh, you just need to do just a little bit more. If you would have worked just a little bit, that is an unfair system. And so it's not based on how morally good you are. Because you know what? You're not morally good. You're a slave to sin. The audience says, no, we're not. And my fear is talking to a Baptist church that you're going, no, we're not. We're we're good people. We're better than most. I'm morally good. It's not enough. It's not the answer. True disciples are free. They're free. Look, if you're here this morning, And maybe this is new to you or, or you're kind of wrestling with, wait, I've been in the church for a long time. Dave, what do you say? I'm saying that the key is being in Christ. How do we know if we're in Christ? Jesus says, abide in me, follow me. The point is that we need to make a decision to follow Jesus. We need to repent of our sin and go a different direction. Even if your sin is just simply thinking you're morally good enough. Even if your sin is just thinking, well, I'm a Baptist, so I'm in. Even if your sin is just holding up your head thinking you're better than everybody else around you. Whatever it is, we need to turn from that and believe alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, a little gut check. Am I morally justifying myself? Am I justifying myself because I'm in a Baptist church? Am I justifying myself because I came from a good family? You know, I'm in in the good family tree. Or have I personally committed my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and seek to follow him? And when we do that, true disciples are family. And he makes this great distinction between between the slave and the son. In Christ, we're eternal. The slave does not remain in the house. The son remains forever. In Christ, we're eternal. In Christ, you are free from slavery to sin. In Christ, we should be rooted in God's word. You know, we we, uh, pull out a study here and we say, hey, let's all read this. And uh, those that are close to me uh, and spend a lot of time with me, um, they they fear um, this phrase from me greatly. I have a book. There's just not a situation where I'm in where I'm not talking to somebody and I go, oh, I know a great book for you, okay? Some of the guys that I disciple will be like, no books. So we have a book that we're doing together. And uh, 
man, a few people said, I just don't have time. And I, I want to look at that again and go, you, you don't have, I don't know how long it takes you to read a page. It is not that time consuming. Um, you know, I promise you, you could read that and still get to the second puzzle in Wheel of Fortune, okay? I mean, you, so we, we can read that together. And it, it's just this amazing process of going through something in a community, being rooted in God's word. And when we're all reading the same thing, we can use some of the same language. In Christ, we have a purpose to do the will of the Father. And in Christ, we have a rich inheritance. I mean, there's an allusion to this in that that phrase in the sonship. Um, Several uh, weeks back in our reading when we were in Luke, um, I just, I really love the the passage about the tenants, the parable of the tenants. And if if you remember the I called him the king. He's the he's the landowner. He he builds this this vineyard and he rents it out to other people, and then he sends somebody to go collect his his portion and and they they don't give and they some of them they kill some they just beat up and send away and so uh, the king says well I'll send him my son they'll respect my son and they they say boy if we kill the son then we can inherit this which seems really weird but in that culture. Um, if you didn't have an heir, your inheritance went to the number one master of your house, the slave. And so they, they actually had a right thinking there. So we kill him, then we get the inheritance. And which is really funny to me because I'm thinking, I've been doing all this stuff on this image and who we are. And one of them that just really stands out to me is we have this great inheritance. And so they say, if we kill the son, then we can have the inheritance. And the funny thing about the story is if you submit to the son, you get the inheritance. That's the... You, you already got it. You just have to submit to it. We have a great inheritance. Some application and action. Um, I think especially in the American church um, and the culture that we grew up in, we need to really rejoice in the freedom that we have in Christ. Christ has set you free from the inability to do righteousness And he has given you the ability in Christ to live righteously, and we should rejoice in that. We should celebrate. I think one of the things that is just reminded to me, and I I know that I'm emphasizing the inheritance and and, and different things, but um, uh, we really need to rejoice in the future that we have in Christ. Uh, I was sharing uh, last uh, semester, in the commute was kind of getting to me and I started reading some audiobooks and different things like this and Patty gave me uh, the Chronicles of Narnia on, uh, on CD. It was the um, focus on the family did a radio theater so it's not just reading through the book, it's kind of this dramatic reading. It's really kind of cool. So I just listened to the entire series of the Chronicles of Narnia uh, going to and from school uh, this semester. And so on the way home uh, on Thursday was the, f- the end of the final battle. And man, C.S. Lewis paints this incredible picture of heaven in there. And it's, it's odd because you're, you know, you, 
I got so into the series, the characters, I didn't want it to end. But he paints such this beautiful picture of heaven at the end that my heart was just so warmed. And, I, and this, was, this was just a, a children's book. And I said, I want to go there. We need, to, we need to rejoice in the beautiful inheritance that we have. Now, if we're honest, we're free from sin, but we're still struggling with sin. Okay? And so, probably not the best application point, but kill the beast. Like, whatever sin that you're wrestling with, let's, let's, let's put an end to it. Let's, let's, just, let's just declare, I, I'm not a slave to that anymore. I need to move on. And let's kill that. And let's live in the righteousness that Christ affords us. You have been set free. I am free from the power of sin, legally and practically. Go and live accordingly. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning. And uh, as we prepare to take our offering, we thank you for the privilege of participating in the kingdom of God through the giving of tithes and offerings. We recognize that this supports missions and staff and building and things. And we, we know that as a church that we're short, um, but we trust in you. And so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to participate in this. We thank you that you have freed us. We thank you that you are good and that you give good gifts. And so, Lord, help us to live in light of who we are, not in light of who we were. And God, I know that there are people here that are struggling, and we pray that you would help them be set free from that struggle. There are others here, Lord, that need to, to change, to follow you, and to become followers of Jesus. We pray that you would pull them into your kingdom. God, we pray that you would draw them into life. And we pray this in Jesus' name.